Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to Inside Clemson Football with LeVon Kirkland. I'm Will Vandervoort. Coming up, though Clemson football is in the offseason, there are still plenty of things to talk about. Clemson head coach Dabo Sweeney shook some things up on his coaching staff last week to make way for former Clemson great C.J. Spiller to become his new running backs coach. LeVon and I will explain and break it all down. Also, wide receiver Justin Ross has decided to return to Clemson for another year. What will this mean for Clemson's offense in 2021? On the defensive side, the Tigers learned safety Nolan Turner and defensive end Xavier Thomas are coming back for one more season as well. That means Clemson returns all 11 starters on defense. LeVon and I will discuss this and a whole lot more. But before we do all of that, the Super Bowl is right around the corner. If you're looking to place a bet on any of the sports going on, betonline.ag is the best and only place to lock it in. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than any place online. And there's always the online casino as well. It never closes. So head to betonline.ag today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Again, that's betonline.ag and sign up today. Bet online, your online sports book experts. And all right, and I bring on uh, the man of the hour, the great Levon Kirkland. Levon, man, how's it going this week? Uh, it's going well. I'm just kind of chilling out, just uh, relaxing, hibernating, <laughs> just really trying to really kind of stay away from folks. I know that's kind of crazy, but yeah, just trying to stay away from people, just really. Quarantine without really having having to quarantine. So, yeah, but I, I'm 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 cool. The playoffs are here. I always look forward to that. And you know, I actually like basketball a lot too. So I'm trying to catch up on my basketball and just really just trying to relax, my friend. Yeah, same here. Um, I'm with you. I, I enjoy the NFL playoffs. So um, uh, I watched them last week. I I sat on the couch all weekend and watched all those games and uh, root like crazy for Kansas City. And I was rooting like crazy for the Bills because <laughs> I can't stand the Ravens and the Browns, obviously. So right. uh, that made the weekend extra special nice uh, because even though the Steelers lost to the Browns in the playoffs and exited a little earlier than we wanted to, at least the Steelers ended the season winning something. You know, it's still the division chance for the Steelers. So we'll take a little bit of that. I know it's right. Super Bowl or bust. That's what we do. But winning the division, at least, like, you know, the Ravens and Browns didn't win anything. So at least we got that over their heads and we can move on to the offseason and, and at least have that, you know, where we don't really have to listen to those two fan bases too much. But, um, of course, I'm sure Browns fans would love to let us know that they took us out of the playoffs, which is okay. That's fine. Everybody – Every dog has their day, right, LeVon? So, Oh, yeah. Every dog has their day, and I'm sure that their fans are really happy about winning that playoff game. But you know what's going to happen next year. You know what's going to happen. The Browns are going to be overhyped again mm-hmm. this season. You watch and see. Everybody is going to be talking about how great they are, and, and people are going to foolishly pick them to go to the Super Bowl again. And I always think that's really funny about the, the Cleveland Browns. It's like if they get a hint of success, everybody is singing their praises and telling them how great they are. And then they have the seasons that they normally have. 
and then they go back down to earth again. It's really amazing. It's really funny how that always occurs. Every almost every year, except for this year. This year, you know, people were down on them, and they actually end up winning. Mm-hmm. You know, the last couple, you know, the year before that, people were saying how great they were, and they were favorites to go to the Super Bowl from the AFC. They had a terrible season, so I guarantee you that the frown, the Browns fans, the dog pound, everybody is thinking they're going to the Super Bowl next year. I can guarantee it. No, you're right. So it's funny because okay, and I hope I never have to do this. So in my here in my office here, I have um over here I have a collection of the mini football helmets uh, for the NFL, and it and I have them organized because I'm a Super Bowl history buff. Okay. Sure. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I love the Super Bowl and I know all everything about it. And, you know, I'm like a trivia nerd. You know, if you're if you're going to trip Super Bowl trivia contest and you need somebody to take with you, I'm the guy. okay? because I, you know, I I know everything about the game. So anyway, I have these mini helmets and I line them up by the year each team won their first Super Bowl. So Mm -hmm. every championship starts with Green Bay and and goes that way. Right. Jets are number two, which is kind of crazy. But the Jets won Super Bowl three. So that's mm-hmm. why. So it's so I go like that on how each team won a Super Bowl. So then you get down to the teams that didn't win, and I love to put Cleveland Browns by themselves. So mm-hmm. in my little collection, I got the Browns helmet by itself, and I hope it always stays there and is never up here where the Super Bowl champions are at. So uh, you know, so that I do that because they're one of the few teams that have never been to a Super Bowl. I hope it stays that way, um, and so I just put them by themselves because I you know just hope they never win one. I don't know right. what I'll do if they do. I might just probably stop watching football. I really do. Right. I just I hope we never have that problem where I have to think about it. Um, but uh, we'll see. Uh, as a Steelers guy, and we won't <laughs> we won't make our listeners think too listen too much about we're talking about the Steelers here. But as a Steelers guy, I'm sure Clemson fans can relate because of how painful it was mm. in 2010 and 11 when South Carolina won the College World Series in baseball. And in oh, yeah. 2010, they beat Clemson to do it, right? So that had to be very painful. We know that was very painful for them. Um, so, you know, um, you, you're, that hopefully they can feel my pain as they listen to us here today talking about that because that's what the equivalent of that is to Steeler fans and stuff, right, LaVon? I mean, the Browns winning the Super Bowl would just be yeah. the worst thing ever. It, it would be. So I, I understand South Carolina pain too, though. But South Carolina has has really saw the success of Clemson University, the renaissance of Clemson University, especially after beating them for five straight years. As a Carolina fan, you got to feel feel like you're being left behind, that the college football world is moving on without you, and you're just back in the past. So I can understand where the South Carolina fans may feel uh, a little slighted, being a Gamecock fan when at one point in time they beat us five years in a row and they probably think that in a lot of ways that they created this monster which is Clemson University so Mm -hmm. I think it's funny I think it's a lot of fun (laughs) I was about to say you you don't feel too sorry for him come on you know (laughs) (laughs) I I just you know honestly I just really like to tease South Carolina fans it's not that I really hate them and I had no reason to hate it because the teams I played on, we beat them four years in a row. So why should I hate them? But yeah, I like teasing them. It's just a lot of fun. And they take it really seriously. So it's even better. 
Well, that's what makes it fun, right? Because they take right. it so serious. And, that, exactly. and and to see Clemson constantly, and, and it hadn't just been during the Dabo era. I mean, Coach Ford era, that was the, that was the same way for the most part. Clemson owned the right. South Carolina series. They won national championship. They won the ACC every year. They were beating the Oklahomas and Penn States and all that, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. And, and so, you know, this is the norm, I guess, of South Carolina fans. Um, but, you know. Hey, it is what it is. You know, they're um, they're a baseball school, and Clemson's a football school, and so so be it. Clemson's pretty darn good in baseball too. South Carolina can't say that for football, so we'll just kind of leave it yeah, that, at you know, that. Clemson's right? pretty good. Clemson's pretty good in soccer as, as well. <laughs> That's right. So, so uh, you got to give. I mean, both teams have good teams. You know, the University of South Carolina women's team, basketball basketball team. I mean, they're a good team. They're a good give team credit. year in year out, and that goes to tell you what a good head coach can really do and with a lot of recruiting and uh, just demanding excellence. And that's what you see in a really good team, no matter what level is on. Yeah. And I think that goes to, I think, you know, like you said, I think it also goes to the commitment each school or organization wants to commit to winning. Um, right. You know, and I look at uh, when you look at Clemson football, obviously Dan Radakovich and those guys, Terry Don Phillips before him, they made a commitment with Dabo Sweeney to say, Hey, we're going to give you everything you need to win. You go do what you got to do, you know, and they made that commitment to, to wanting to be one of the best in the country and look how it's turned out. It's, you know, they started with the facilities and things of that nature and it slowly just built its way up. Um, and then of course, Dabo's culture obviously is the main reason of why it's successful, but you know, uh, the same thing down there in Columbia with the women's basketball program. I know um, just hearing the stories where Don Staley went in there and, when she interviewed for the job, very similar to Dabo, and said, you know, here's my plan. If you are serious about wanting to be a winning program, then it, you have to do what we're going to do there. If you say no to any of that, then I'm out the door. I'm not going to stay and listen to it because I got other schools that want to do it, that want to talk to me. So what do you want to do? And, of course, they made the right decision there, obviously, and and we've seen the success they've had down there under under, under her and so you give them credit for that, um, you know, and all good programs that Jack Leggett, when he was the baseball coach here at Clemson, look what he did all those years of success. Uh, Bill Wilhelm, same right. thing, you know, um, you know, and, and so Coach Ford and football here before, you know, like I said, the era before D- Dabo era, uh, Frank Howard even, you know, um, you know, when they made commitments there uh, in the late, uh, in the mid 40s and stuff with Memorial Stadium and things of that nature. It's uh, they had success. The crazy thing when you look at Clemson's history, Levon, football history, right? Mm-hmm. And Tim Bray put this out a couple of years back. A stat. So anytime Clemson has had a major facility upgrade, whether it be go back to the early '40s when Memorial Stadium was built, um, all the way to Jervie Athletic Center in the '70s, uh, to the upgrades to Memorial Stadium in the '80s, mm-hmm. to uh, the upgrades in the late 2000s to Memorial Stadium, and then what we've seen with the football complexes and all. It doesn't take but a couple years after these things have happened that Clemson's had a great deal of success. Even going up to when Ipte was established back in 1934, I believe, you know, you look at the success Coach Neely had that got him to the Cotton Bowl. That kind of was the foundation was the start establishment of Ipte. Um, right. So it, it's weird how all these things have happened in Clemson football history. And it all starts with the administration, and I'll maybe it's not weird, maybe it's not it's not it's coincidental or anything that, that it's the way it's supposed to happen. 
each time the administration has made a commitment to be the best, they've had a long level of success doing it right after they do that. And so uh, that's what we're seeing now. You know, they made that commitment and, and look, look what it's transpired to here these last six years. Well, I think in college athletics, I think you always have to be growing. I think that you can never really sit, really sit still on your success and say it's going to be okay. Because if you do that, somebody is catching up to you. So I think in college sports, especially when you're talking about recruiting and you're talking about bringing in athletes and showing them your house and what you can do for them, I think you always got to continue to build and that you got to always really, the one year success from last year really doesn't matter. You got to continue to build on that success. And I really feel that uh, Coach Sweeney has done a great job of building on that success. It is easier when you're winning because people see the vision, but I always think it's really tough when you're starting a program to get people to buy in what you're doing. And um, I think they did a great job of showing people what Clemson could really be about. Danny Ford showed that. And like you said, Coach Neely, Coach Howard, those guys showed that. But I think Dabble really kind of brought it back. I think Tommy Bowden, and I think a lot of people underestimate the job that maybe Tommy Bowden did as well as trying to improve those facilities. He understood that was a big part of it. And you look at what Clemson has done they're continuously building on a campus that doesn't seem to really be able to hold <laughs> everything that that football team brings to it. So it's like a little micro, it's like a Microsoft on a, a small campus. So he just kept building. And what kid or what parent is not going to really be impressed, not only with the football side of it, but also, you know, they're graduating their kids. They're showing the football players a different experience that, we would have never imagined having. So we have a great visionary um, that's having the, the head whistle, as I like to call it. I think he can really go some places, but also the organization, the, the school has to be on board too. It can't just be the head coach, but the administration don't feel the same. Everybody has to be on board. And that's why it's important to, to be really be good from the top on down. And that's what you see at Clemson University. And that's why they're always so good. It's interesting the way you brought up about how Dabo always kind of has a vision and he continues to look ahead. He's never satisfied with where he's at. And that kind of takes us into our kind of our first topic here. And, and, and the vision that Dabo has had with CJ Spiller, uh, the legendary Clemson running back, got to be in the College Football Hall of Fame uh, next year. You know, for the last couple of years, ever since CJ retired from the NFL, Dabo has wanted CJ on his staff. You know, he's kind of like poked at him a little bit. Hey, CJ, what do you think about coaching and this? You know, kind of putting things in his ear, if you will. And mm-hmm. um, and CJ sort of like, you know, at first was kind of standoffish about it. I wasn't really sure that's what he wanted to do, but wasn't sure what he wanted to do with the rest of his life either. Mm-hmm. Um you know, so he moved back to Clemson. He's kind of put his feet, you know, in the water at a couple places, you know, with the IPTA Board of Directors and, you know, has, has dabbled in a couple things over here with the university and things of that nature. And, you know, he started going to football practice, started mentoring a guy like Travis Etienne um, and, and really kind of directing him to make sure he made the right decisions with his life and started mentoring some of these other young guys. 
and he kind of got the bug, LeVon, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, when a position opened up last year um, on, as a graduate student, Dabo went to him and said, hey, CJ, what do you think now? Do you, would you want to come and join our staff as a graduate assistant and just kind of see if you like coaching? You like mentoring these guys, but let's see if you if, if you take it to another level maybe if you want to. CJ went in there and man fell in love with it, right? And really enjoyed coaching and doing all that. So it was a no-brainer when Dabo shifted his staff around last week. And for people who may have been under a rock and don't know that uh, Dabo, um, you know, took Tony Elliott and moved him to tight ends coach. He's still going to be the offensive coordinator and now tight ends coach. And um, he took Danny Pierman and put Danny um, as an analyst um, who was the tight ends coach, put him as an analyst and also a director of self-scouting. And which is a kind of a new kind of fold here, Dabo trying again, do things the way it fits his culture. He made Danny Pierman the lead scout, basically, or evaluator in the transfer portal. So he can start evaluating some of these guys in the transfer portal and kind of get a good feel whether they fit the Clemson culture if you do need to pull one or two guys, something Dabo hasn't really done yet, but he knows that time's coming where, you know, you lose four or five defensive backs in one year, like they did in 2015, you might have to go to the portal to find a guy. So you're, you got some experience in the secondary. You're not like you were that one year in 2016 when they were so young. So, um, you know, it's, it's an interesting dynamic there. And then, so that opened up the position of running backs coach and uh, Dabo just slid CJ right on in there and, mm-hmm. uh, and put him in that place. And now here, here's the guy who, you know, again, Dabo just thinking ahead, thinking, okay, here's a guy that probably, as long as I'm the coach here, probably would like to stay here. And he's a Clemson guy. And mm-hmm. he understands my culture. And he understands what we want to do in our vision here at Clemson. I think it was a great move by Dabo. And it was one where he saw this LeVon two years ago <laughs> when he started kind of poking at CJ. And it kind of came to fruition um, because he realized CJ was the kind of guy that would love coaching and mentoring young people. Yeah. You know, I think anytime you get a guy like CJ who was really in the beginning of what this resurgence of Clemson university, a, a big time recruit that nobody thought Clemson could get Dabo Sweeney did, does a great job of getting him here and his career really t- took off from there. CJ was an explosive player that I think in a lot of ways you may not can teach what he does, but he understands the position of being a running back. He goes on to the NFL where he's he's been in that league. And in that league, you learn so much about football in probably a year than what you did as a player in college football. So he has that know-how. He has that knowledge of being a, a, a guy. And he's, he can also relate to guys who want to go to that next level. So if you're a freshman coming in, DJ can, I mean, CJ can tell you about what it takes to work from a college level to get to the NFL and to stay in the NFL. I think any time that you, you hear a CJ Spiller going into your high school, most kids at, the, at, at this point in time are going to know who CJ Spiller is. So there's a lot of positives of having a C.J. Spiller on your coaching staff. You're talking about a player that's been in your culture. You're talking about a player who's been in the, in, on the highest level. You're talking about a player that can give back to younger players. 
and really give them what I call a street knowledge of how to play the position of running back. Also, he's going to be powerful in the recruiting trail. Mm -hmm. You know, you put him out there. Why can't CJ sell you on being at Clemson? He's, he's been through it and he believes it um, first and foremost. So I think C.J. Spiller, nothing for Dabo. I think he's a no-brainer. I mean, could you go on out there and got some running back coaches that have incredible experience, have been there? Yeah, you absolutely could have done that. But at some point in time, you got to take risks. And I think sometimes you got to be able to bring in guys like that. I mean, guys like C.J., like myself, who played in the NFL, I mean, we beg for that chance. We beg for that chance to go back and coach for our – for our school. And a lot of times we don't get that. And luckily for CJ, he does. I feel like he'll do a very good job of doing that. It's going to be some growth on his part, of course, but he's young enough at this point in time that I think he can really carve out a great career for himself. So I'm really happy for CJ. I tease CJ a lot. I really do. (laughs) I tease him all the time, but I I think he's a quality person. I, I think that he really cares about the game. And he definitely cares about the young people. And when, when you can bring that to the table, that's a certain plus. And I feel like things will really work out for him. So I'm, I'm happy for him. I think Clemson got the right guy. And then not only that, he doesn't have to do everything. He doesn't have to know everything. You got a Tony Elliott there. You got a staff, a coaching staff that's been together for quite some time that has the experience that they can give to you. And you know, a lot of times you can get information from just watching and learning and um, observing. And I'm sure he got that this year, just being in the room with Tony Elliott, who I think is one of the one of the best offensive coordinators and also one of the best minds in football. So, yeah, it's a it's a plus move. It's, it's not a negative move at all. Yeah, and it's it's a move where you know, as you mentioned, you bring in you bring in your own culture uh, to it, and 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 it, there's a lot that kind of goes into that. And, and some people don't really maybe understand recruiting, but when you got a guy in there who has been on the other side, so when he sits down with mom and dad, and they're talking, or he sits down with grandma and they're talking about what's best for their kid or their grandkid, um, and why is Clemson the best um, for them? You know, he can really speak to it. And, and that's a plus. I mean, he can talk about his story and how he came to Clemson and why he made that decision to play for Coach Sweeney and what it meant for him in his life and how what Coach Sweeney promised to him came true and how he, he was there beside him and all these things. And it's a testimony that you can't, you can't get anywhere else, right? I mean, you, you can't right. get that anywhere else. And, it, and, and it's real. And I think there, there's a value to that, and Dabo was smart, to, I think, to see that vision, to know that, hey, it's important to get guys like CJ. And he's got other guys on his staff, too, you know, in analyst roles and things of that nature, and a Tyler Grisham who also played for him. You know, and that, that really kind of having those kind of players, it's interesting when you watch Alabama, right, and how they're doing it. And, and, you know, and you see Nick Saban, he goes and, you know, he loses um, – Sarkeesian, but he brings in Bill O'Brien, right, to, to run the offense, uh, an NFL guy who's got college experience. He, he goes and, and gets another NFL coach from the Jaguars uh, to coach the offensive line, you know, when he was a head coach in, in Doug Marone. Um, so, you know, he, he, he's got this 
you know, that's how Nick Saban builds it. And that's fine because that works for Alabama. But Dabo does it in a different way where he goes and says, okay, it's about stability. It's about, you know, showing uh, that Clemson family, if you will, that Clemson sells a lot, right? And not just on the football program, but they sell that basketball, baseball. They sell it at the university side. They sell that Clemson family big time. And what better way to recruit Clemson family when you have Clemson alumni coaching you? and recruiting these kids. And that's kind of the way he's, he's kind of did it a totally different way. I think than most guys would do, like you said, he, he takes chances where he brings in a Tyler Grisham who has no experience, but believes in him and gives him that shot. He brings in a CJ Spiller, no experience, but believes in him, gives him that shot. And also the other guys he's got on his staff. It's, um, you know, and I think he does that because his guys believed in him. You know, when when he was coming up as a young coach, Terry Don believed in him and gave him the head coaching job. So it's it's really interesting the way Dabo has built his coaching staff and why it stays stable as much as it does. Well, also too, it, I, I want to say this out, and I, I'm going to put it out there. I think the mistake that a lot of coaches make when they think about ex players and they think about guys who've gone on to the NFL is that they don't have any coaching experience. I think that playing in the NFL is probably the best field, best, I think, knowledge base you can get to be a coach because you study the game all the time. And although it's not a GA position, it is a position where you're getting great experience from. Now, being a coach, is something that I think you have, you have to learn. You have to be in that position. It's just like any job that you go to. But if you're talking about experience, if you're talking about an impressive resume, then I think a lot of times why not look to NFL guys mm-hmm. who've been there, who've done that, who've been successful. What better role models can you present to your to your team than guys who've actually done it? And then guys, especially guys who come from Angie's list is now Angie and caring for your home just got easier. Whether you need help with routine maintenance or a dream remodel, Angie makes it easy to see reviews, compare quotes and connect with top local pros who can get the job done right. Plus you can see upfront pricing and instantly book hundreds of projects. No phone tag, just the work you need done at a time that works for you. Angie's got your to-do list covered from start to finish. Book your next home project today at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Your program to be able to give back. The procedures of being a coach is something that I think within a couple of years you can learn. I don't, that's why it's, it's frustrating in a lot of ways that more coaches don't really go that route. You got a player that's from your school that would like to get into coaching, why don't you bring him back in and let him get his feet wet and let him understand, okay, this is how you coach. It's different from being a player, but you can't tell me that you wouldn't like Aaron Rodgers being your quarterback coach, (laughs) showing you how to play the game. And that whole myth about great players don't make great coaches, I, I, I doubt that. I think if they want to make great coaches, they'll be great coaches. Exactly. A lot of times, a lot of great players may not be interested in coaching. But when you get a great player like C.J. Spiller, 
who's interested in being a coach, I think you have to give them a chance. Will it work out? I don't know. But I think that's a model for a lot of coaches to say, hey, why don't we bring some guys back that play the game, who love the school, who can really be great ambassadors of the school and can sell whatever vision or whatever mission that you have. So I have to give Dabo a lot of credit of letting CJ, although he hasn't had a lot of experience, to come back and to be the coach, you know, the assistant coach, not the assistant under the assistant. And Tyler Grissom, I mean, he was there from Dabo's start. And he had a couple coffee in the NFL. And to bring that guy back, and those guys understand how you got to run routes. What do you see when you're between the tackles? The vision of it. They can give you those, I would say, those nuggets that maybe a coach who's never experienced the NFL could give you because they have what I call street knowledge. Mm -hmm. And they're what I call an OG, a guy who's been there, has done that. And a lot of times those guys are valuable on your coaching staff. It's not about knowing schemes and all that stuff. It's about understanding where a player comes from and how can you relate that information to him? Most players or anybody, the problem they may have in coaching is articulating uh, what's on the board to what's going to be out on the field. If you could articulate that, I mean, you got you a great coach. So yeah, I, I like this. I like this pick, and I'm not just saying that because I'm a Clemson fan, and I really like C.J. Spiller. I like anybody who's been in the NFL, who's had practical experience, to come back and to coach, especially the position that he's really good in, because he has some stuff that, quite frankly, I think a lot of times, maybe a college coach really don't have because he hasn't played the game. Not saying he doesn't know the game. But man, somebody, if I'm playing basketball and I want to know how to really shoot the ball, hey man, Larry Bird could really be a good coach. Like <laughs> I, I'm just saying, if I, if I want to know how I'm taking to magic, America, man. <laughs> I, I, yeah, you got Magic Johnson. I mean, if I really wanted to know how to mentally go after the game, man, if Michael Jordan is interested, why wouldn't you have him on the team? Absolutely. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. Man, can you imagine being a, being on a team coached by Michael Jordan, Larry Bird, and Magic Johnson? Man, that'd be a heck of a coaching staff, wouldn't it? It, it would be. A, it'd, be a, it'd be a heck of a coaching staff. I mean, <laughs> you know, especially from just a player development standpoint. I mean, you may not know all the X's and O's, but from a player's development standpoint, why wouldn't you have guys like that teaching your guys how to play? Absolutely. And, you know, I don't want to get too far off the road here, but um, – I don't know if you've seen the, um, the you know, the uh, documentary on Kobe Bryant that uh, I, I can't remember Showtime or somebody like that did. Uh, they did it just, just actually a couple of years ago um, on him, and it showed his drive. This is that, they made it like it was his last year before he retired, and it really showed Kobe's drive to be great mm-hmm. and how what he expected out of others, very similar to Michael Jordan's. Right. Um, of course, you know, Michael George was great. You know, that documentary they did there with the Bulls and him, uh, ESPN did last summer. But Kobe one was the same way, man. It really kind of gives you an idea when these guys are are like they are and they've played at the highest level and they've won at the highest level, how they drive and motivate the people around them 
to be just as successful is just unbelievable to me to watch how they do that and to watch, you know, uh, what they expect out of their teammates. And um, I'll never forget, you know, when I was a kid and if this happened today, you know, I don't know if Larry Bird would survived it as a player, but um, I don't know if you remember back in the 84 finals um, when they uh, lost game, I think it was game three to the Lakers or whatever, and they got run out of the building. Mm-hmm. Larry Bird basically called his team a bunch of ladies without saying the word lady, but the other wow. word <laughs> that sometimes was associated mm-hmm. in those yeah. days. And I think uh, we know what you're talking about. Yeah, you know what I'm talking I think anybody listening knows what I'm talking about. And he 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 called it. And so, you know, it ran in the newspapers the next day and all that. He was playing with a bunch of weaklings basically. And and you know, he called out every single one of his teammates. And he didn't call himself because he said, I did what I was supposed to do. I, he had a good game, and Larry did his thing. Larry said, I didn't do anything, but everybody else played like, you know what? And, man, I mean, it was all over the newspapers and the TVs, I remember, the next day. and But you know what happened, LeVon? With the new year comes tons of big games in sports. With big games, you need big stakes. Kansas City Stakes has the cuts you crave to celebrate the playoffs and the big game. Visit KansasCitySteaks.com slash game day and save up to $25 on combos perfect for game day plus get free shipping with code believe that's b-l-e-a-v at checkout try out the snack pack combo featuring small plates with big flavor mini beef wellington steak burger sliders mac and cheese melts shrimp wrap and bacon every order is flash frozen delivered directly to your home satisfaction guaranteed or your money back Basically, every cut of steak imaginable, plus appetizers, desserts, barbecue, and so much more. Again, go to KansasCitySteaks.com slash gameday and use the code BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V, at checkout for free shipping. Kansas City Steaks, big games, big taste. They they came back to one game four. (laughs) And then they won game five, and they ended up winning the series. Yeah. That's what great competitors do with their teammates. They well, know what buttons to push, and they know it's not offending them. It may offend Johnny Johnson out there, you know, on the radio network or whatever. It might offend somebody reading the newspaper, but he knew it wouldn't offend his teammates. He knew it would resonate with them, and they would want to prove him wrong, and it motivated them, and they end up winning the series. That's what competitors like that do. Right. Yeah, I mean, the, the really good competitors, they – We'll call you out. Uh, we had some guys ourselves like Greg Lloyd, Rod Woodson. Honestly, it was about getting their respect. And if you didn't get their respect, they basically would tell the coach staff, you cannot play this guy out here. Mm-hmm. And Larry Bird, Larry Bird has so many medals, so many accolades that he has the right to say that my team is not playing well. And sometimes you need that on a team. You need guys who have a different mindset, a different makeup, which makes these guys tremendous and make these guys great. So, you know, I heard something very interesting what Kobe has, Kobe said. And Kobe said that there was no such thing as failure. And I thought it was very interesting. And then I, I hear Michael Jordan says, you know, he never worried about a shot. He never worried about missing a shot he had in his foot Mm-hmm. are taking it. I thought that was pretty interesting. And it really kind of goes for a mindset because even as a professional player, 
sometimes your mind is not quite there. Sometimes you worry about some of the little things. And those guys never worry about their capabilities and what they can do on the court. But then again, they also work like the devil. They work harder than anybody else. And that's probably the key, you know, because they work, they were fortunate, of course, not getting hurt a whole, a whole bunch, you know, things went well for them, but they wrote their own story. They didn't let fate write their story. They wrote their story and fate was a co-author in ways, but they took control of their narrative and their intentions. And that's the results that you get. So, yeah. So your point to Kobe Bryant, I, I think is absolutely on point. Well, and that kind of brings us talking about players and guys that can make a difference who work hard and have the respect of their teammates. I think that kind of leads us right into Justin Ross. Um, here's a guy, a young man who last year, last March was, you know, has this injury in practice thinks it's just a next stinger thinks, you know, maybe I'll just miss the rest of spring practice, but I'll be good to go. Everything's fine. He has some stiffness in his neck. He doesn't really heal the way he's thinking it's going to heal. So they go and start running some more tests and LaVon, they, they find out there's a couple of things wrong with his spine and mm. um, one he was born with. And it's very similar to what happened with Ryan Shazier with the Steelers that if he would have taken a bad hit, he could have been paralyzed and maybe not been able to walk again. And, you know, mm. luckily Ryan's been able to, you know, thanks through surgery and all. But he had this fusion uh, very similar on his spine, and uh, they discovered it. And so they went in last June. No guarantees, right? I mean, right. the only guarantee they were giving him is if we take this off, you're going to be able to walk the rest of your life and you'll be fine. But no guarantees you'll be able to play football again. You know, you're, you know, so imagine if you're LeVon 20 years old and somebody tells you your football career could be over right then and you know what's in front of you and your potential could be. Right. That had to be scary for Justin Ross. And he could have taken that news and that information two different ways. He could have taken it with, woe is me, get depressed. I'm never going to get to play football again, you know, whatever. Or he could take it and say, this is not going to define me. There's still a chance I can play football. And though there's no guarantee, I'm going to go work my tail off to try to put myself in position to, to be able to do that. And lo and behold, the young man took that other path of the fork, and he went to work. And he even, even though there was no guarantee he could play football ever again, he was still out there running drills, catching the ball, doing whatever he could to stay with his craft, and then – you know, he gets the news in December. There's a really good chance you're going to be able to play again. Then he gets the news this past January. Um, we haven't officially been told yet, but considering the news that's come out of Clemson last week, I would imagine he's been told uh, that uh, he can probably play football again uh, permanently. And so Justin Ross decides to come back to Clemson. Clemson makes a big announcement out of it last week with a video um, that says, you know, number eight's back and all this. So, this is a big deal for Clemson because as we talked about just then leading into that with competitors and how you are, how your teammates view you, how much you work. Here's a guy, Justin Ross, man, his teammates saw that, right? They saw this guy all year long, Levon, 
no guarantee he's going to play again, working his tail off. Right. Working his tail off to be the <clears throat> best, to, mm-hmm. to get himself in position to be the best. And now here he is doing it. There's no better leader. No, that Dabo can't recruit anybody any better than what the teammates just saw with Justin Ross and that respect he's going to have in that locker room going forward. Well, also, Justin Ross is a heck of a player. Mm-hmm. So he's going to get, at least from a playing standpoint, he's going to get the he's going to get the respect of his players. But let, let me tell you a little bit about him. You know, this guy's 6'4", 205. The last year he played in 2019, which Clemson won the national championship, this is what he brings to the table. You're talking about uh, 66 receptions, 865 yards, eight touchdowns, average 13.1 um, per catch. You tell me that guy won't make a difference on your team? <laughs> you think about if he was healthy, what difference he would have made on the team this year. So when you get a guy that did what he did, um, you know, the year, especially the year they won the national championship, I mean, the guy had 1,000 yards yep. receiving the ball, 1,000 yards, 46 catches as a freshman, and really they didn't play him a whole and I think they did that kind of like it was a strategy that let's not show everybody what Russ, Justin Ross is. Let's hold him back a little bit and put him in the playoffs and see what he did. He takes off. This guy is a very big-time talent, was probably going to be like even this year, you're talking about a first-round pick, no doubt about it. Mm-hmm. So when you bring that guy back into the fall and now – Justin Ross probably has an appreciation of the game that he probably never, ever had before. And getting a second chance to do what he loves to do and what he's really good at doing, man, is a big-time plus. Plus, that guy can take the lid off of defense. <laughs> That's, and you have to focus in on him. As a, as a, as a defensive coordinator, you have to make sure – that you can do something about Justin Ross and bringing him back with the young receivers that they have now and what they have in place, it could possibly be a very special year for the Clemson Tigers. Yeah. Yeah. He's a legitimate four, four speed legitimate. And, you know, I mean, so he's a basketball player. He's basically a, a shooting forward shooting guard that's out there getting rebounds. Mm Mm-hmm. And you saw what he did his very first year, what he did the year after that. And that's why you thought, man, Clemson has Justin Ross with Trevor Lawrence. They're going to take over. Unfortunately, it didn't really happen that way. But Justin Ross brings a whole lot to the table. And I'm sure if you're a Clemson fan, Clemson coaching staff, even the other players, you're happy that he's back. And I can say from being a Clemson guy, man, I'm looking forward to seeing it what he can do, and really, I, I think he's a story. He's an inspirational story of a guy who, you know, was given everything, it's kind of taken away from him. Now he worked to get it back, and we'll see what that does as far as being on the field is. Field is. But I'm sure it would be like me and you having another opportunity to go back to our younger self with knowing all the things that we know now and having the perspective that we have now. That'll be uh, scary. It'll be dangerous. It'll be dangerous. <laughs> It'll be yeah, dangerous. so he, yeah, he's a dangerous guy. 
for the other team. And, man, it's good that Clemson gets him back because I'm talking about that guy is indeed a, a player. He's a receiver, defensive nightmare, a total nightmare that no DB wants to see. So if he comes back in form that he was, it's going to be dangerous. You know, if people remember, don't have to go too far down the old uh, uh, memory shoot to, to, to remember Mike Williams, who, you know, first play, first game of the season in 2015, uh, fractures part of his neck, has neck surgery out the rest of the year. Clemson goes on to the national championship game. Um, and he missed it all. He missed that entire ride. And uh, people wondered when he got healthy, would he come back? Mike did. Came back and led Clemson to a national championship in 2016 and um, caught 97 passes, had over 1,300 yards, 13 touchdowns, and, you know, went on to be the number seven overall pick in the NFL draft. So Justin Ross didn't have to look too far to say, hey, look, I see it's worked before. I see right. a guy – who was on this very campus that did it. He didn't have to go talk to somebody else that what he, no, he talked to a Clemson guy, you know, who, who did it and had a lot of success doing it. Somebody he probably knows to be honest with you. And um, there it is. It's out there for him. And he knows it's out there. And it's like you said, my, I remember Mike Williams talking to us that year and he talked about having that appreciation for the game, mm -hmm. you know, watching his teammates go on and play for the national championship and, him not a part of that ride and how much he missed it and how much he wanted to be a part of something like that. And that motivated him and drove him. And so I'm with you, man. I, I think Justin Ross is probably the same way and just, you know, sat on the sideline and watched those games probably thinking, well, I probably could have done that. I could have done that, man, boy, it would have been a whole lot different if I was out there. Cause that's, he's a baller. He's a player. Of course he's going to be thinking that. And uh, so that's going to drive him. There's no doubt. And, Man, they're going to be scary at wide receiver, LeVon, this year. They really are. As we look at E.J. Williams, who emerged, I think, as, as a big-time playmaker for Clemson. He's going to be somebody opposite Justin Ross. It's going to be good. They bring him back Spectre, who uh, I think is going to be um, probably a year wiser and better, um, especially when it comes to route running and things of that nature. You're going to see number 13, I think, a little bit more than you have. And, you know, and then they got uh, a Jew, a Jew, who I think is – got an opportunity to progress to be maybe one of the best ones Clemson's had. Um, and, you know, and then you got these other guys coming in They're bringing in new guys. They're just loaded with talent at that position. And to have a guy like Justin Ross back, it just, they're going to explode. I think at that position at wide receiver. And I, I think Justin Ross being back is going to be significant to your younger guys coming in because he's going to be able to give his wisdom to those guys, how to really practice how to run your routes. And it's always good when you can go into a, a program or whatever it is, and you got made professionals, guys who know how to get it done. It only lets, it only grows that legacy. And you can see that in the wide receiver room at Clemson. And I would have to say it probably started with New Hopkins, um, Watson, those guys, and it just kind of grew. And, and I know people are fearful that guys are getting to a – they go to a program and they feel competition. They're like, oh, I'm going to the transfer portal. But I really feel that the really good guys, really good athletes, the competitive athletes, they welcome that competition because, honestly, that competition helps them to become better. Mm-hmm. 
And when they get their opportunity, they're going to shell on the field what they're made of. And I really think bringing in Justin Ross really shows everybody else in that in that receiver locker room, those five-star guys, those three-star guys, how to get it done. So as Clemson, you got to be very excited about what he's going to bring to the table. you got to be excited of what him and DJ can get done. So, man, that's great news for the Clemson Tigers. And like I said before, man, God bless him. He's well. He's healthy throughout. It's going to be a show. It really is. And let's don't forget, and I mentioned when I was talking about those other players, let's don't forget Joseph Nagata and, and um, uh, the, sorry, uh, Frank Ladson. Yeah. <laughs> those two guys are going to be pretty good, too. They were they were banged up all year, too, and kind of were on the sidelines. And that's it, it's crazy to think those three guys were on the sideline for the majority of the season last year. And uh, Clemson still set a passing record for 345 yards a game through the air. Um, yeah. So it's going to be it's scary. Good. I tell you what, the, the receiver room has been very impressive at Clemson for a very long time, and bringing Justin Ross back is just going to make them better. It is, and now there, now Justin Ross wasn't the only news, right? That of guys right. coming back, and we talked about Dabo Sweeney's culture earlier, and mm-hmm. how you know he 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 recruits kids that fit his culture, that fit the Clemson culture, and I think a perfect example of that, Levant, is when you see players like Justin Ross come back. And then on the other side, you see a James Skowski who's given another opportunity to come back. Nolan Turner, who's given another opportunity call, to come back. You know, and then, you, you know, you see other guys that did it. Darion Kendrick, a guy some people last week or two weeks ago were saying was a first-round pick in the draft, right? And he comes back for a senior year. And then Xavier Thomas, we didn't know what he was going to do because this is a guy who's got potential – to be one of the most dominant players probably to ever play at Clemson. Um, it hasn't come to fruition just yet, but it's there. You know it's all there. You know it's bottled up and ready to just come out. He still could have gone pro, and probably because he's got such a high ceiling, would have been a decent draft pick, maybe third round or fourth round. But, you know, he decided to come back to school. And, um, and, and so here's this defense that's loaded. And, oh, by the way, Dabo announces back in Dece- December, November, that Justin Foster's coming back after he spent this whole year missing because of COVID-19, he was in complications from it. He wasn't able to play this year. So he's coming back. And so you take all those guys I just mentioned, that's six guys that have starting experience at some point or another, or and then the 11 guys that started this past year, LeVon plus five or six other guys, 22 guys on this defense next year, 22 will have started at some point in 2019 and 2020, and including all 11 starters from last year's team are back. And, dude, let me just say, it's not like, you know, these are – you've talked about it before. It's not like 11 guys are back or 22 guys are back on a defense that was so-so or bad. This is right. a defense that was consistently good and was the best defense in the Atlantic Coast Conference last year. And they're bringing them all back. And they led the nation, oh, by the way, led the nation in sacks. 45 of those sacks are going to come back. <laughs> and they, they were second in the country in tackles for loss. Most of those tackles for loss are coming back. This team is loaded, man. They're loaded on defense. Um, I would not want to be an offensive coordinator and have to get ready for this experience, Clemson, talented and experienced Clemson defense that they're going to have next year. Well, you know, a lot of times it's, that's funny 
that a lot of times when people say, well, we're bringing back nine starters, but a lot of times they're not nine really good starters and that defense wasn't that good. So sometimes bringing back experience is not all that great. Really, it means they're getting older. And a lot of times older players can be kind of complacent in the way they go about their work. If you look at what Clemson is bringing back, I, I wouldn't say that these guys are complacent. I wouldn't say that these guys are going to rest on their laurels. They understand what happened to them the last game they played, and it wasn't a really good look. So anytime you can bring back that many guys with that much experience, it's a plus for you. And you'll be able to do some things from a depth standpoint that a lot of teams can't do. You have guys that are backing up guys that should be starting on other teams or would be starting on other teams. So for Clemson, having your 11 starters coming back, which never, ever happens, and I guess you got to thank COVID for that. Mm-hmm. And then you're bringing in guys that have, that have some quality experience. Yeah, it's really looking up for the Clemson University Tigers. And it reminds me of the defenses that we played, that I played on. When we're that number one defense, the key for us is that uh, we had, when we, well, let me go back. After that Gator Bowl in 1989, mm-hmm. we only lost one guy off the defense. And honestly, he wasn't really that significant. Mm-hmm. He was a senior, and we lost that guy. We brought everybody else back. Chester McLaughlin, Brinston Buckner. Well, Brinston Buckner wasn't really playing, but he's going to be on that team. Mm-hmm. You bring in Rob Bodine, Vance Hammond. On the outside, you got John Johnson. You got a, you got a Wayne Simmons who made so many plays that year before, even though he wasn't starting. You bring back, uh, you bring up Ashley Shepard, who's a young and upcoming guy. Your whole, your basically your whole defensive backfield coming back. Guys like Arlington Nunn, Ryan O'Neill. You got Dexter Davis. You got Jerome Henderson. All those guys coming back, plus their backups are coming back. It's it's a great thing. It really is. And for a coach, man, you're kind of giggling inside because you know what you got. You know that guys understand what they're going to be doing. They're going to be better at it. They're going to get better at tackling. They're going to work on the things that they didn't do as well communication-wise. Um, again, tackling-wise, yeah. So, man, as a Clemson fan, as I said before about Justin Ross, you've got to be very happy where this team is coming back. You know, things have to work out. Things, guys, got to be healthy. You know, you got to be a little blessed. You got to be a little fortunate. But if things, are, if they are fortunate and they are blessed, and there's no significant injuries, I don't see why they can't go back to the. Uh, playoffs and really honestly win the whole thing as far as who you bring it back now it's really I think DJ is the key to it to it all mm-hmm. if he plays well I really believe that the Clemson Tigers have an opportunity to go back and win it again but I'm excited that they're coming back there's no question about that and I think if you're a Clemson fan or anybody who follows Clemson football you got to be excited it's going to be good but I also like the fact that Xavier Thomas is coming back. I feel that that kid, if he's 
healthy and he's running on all cylinders, his first step is amazing. It's nasty. He can get off the rock like nobody's business. And if he buys into it and he's all in, I can see him making double-digit sacks. I really can. Levon, you want to hear something? And this is bringing up that this is how good he is, okay? He played only in five games this year and played only 119 snaps, okay? In those 119 snaps, he had four tackles for a loss and three and a half sacks. Now, you, when you look, I mean, think about that. That is high production when you That's consider 119 snaps. Now, compare it to a guy who K.J. Henry, who played almost 400 snaps, and he had more sacks and more tackles for a loss than K.J. Henry. Yeah. That tells you something. K.J. played all season, played in every game. So that tells you how different he is and how special he is. And this guy, if he just puts it all together and everything and he stays healthy and he works and shows, you know, this is going to be a, you know, I like to say this is a, this is a contract year, right? So if he, if he puts it all together, this guy is a top five pick. I'm telling you, you're talking about, you're right. Double digit sacks. It could be the equivalent and actually could probably shatter what Daquan Bowers did his junior year when the light ball came on for him. You remember that? And he won the Blitnikoff Award and all that stuff. I mean, not the Blitnikoff Award, the Nagurski Award and all that. He he dominated that year. And just like, you know, 20-something, 26 tackles for loss or whatever it was. And I think he had like 18 sacks or whatever. That's what Xavier Thomas is capable of if the light ball comes on. And if he gets it all together, the health and the light bulb and everything comes together at the same time. It just hasn't happened for him yet. He just hasn't had that – he played behind the Power Rangers as a freshman as he was learning. You saw it. You saw glimpses of it, but he still had some to learn. I think he learned more his sophomore year, but he couldn't stay healthy. So he really just couldn't get over that hump. And then last year he was kind of done for the most of the year because of COVID. And like it really set him back, you know, because of the just had issues with it and stuff recovering. And he never really got a chance to kind of go do what he could do. So now you just hope he's going there healthy and his work is there and he needs to, and that it really just kind of just goes um, because I think the sky's the limit for this kid um, as long as he puts in the work um, and does everything he needs to do to make sure that he's prepared to play this next coming season. Yeah, there's no doubt. You saw it in his freshman year. You saw the talent. You saw the get-off. You saw it, and you were like, wow, this kid, if he keeps it going, he can be one of the most dominant defensive players to ever play at Clemson. And I don't really say that lightly. That's what I thought of Isaiah Thomas coming in. You saw it. You saw what he could do. I mean, he got a little banged up, and, you know, that could set you back. But I'm being optimistic here. If he really comes back and he works hard, I think he has a perspective of what the game could really um, do for him. I mean, just like, like you said, this guy could be – a first-round pick, and he could be in the top ten easily, I think, especially rushing the passer. It, it could really work out very well for him. So in a lot of ways, I'm very happy for him. I feel like this guy deserves a shot, another shot. And, man, if he takes it, if he really takes over and take it to the level that I know he can take it to, he's going to be a special player. I'm talking about I don't know if they give a defensive player of the year in college football, but that's the kind of career that – that's the kind of year that he can really have. 
this guy, and I'm, I'm talking to everybody out there that's listening, this guy is one of the, this guy is a special guy. Reminds me a lot of Dwight Freeney uh, off that edge. And Dwight Freeney could absolutely positively bring it. So you're talking about that kind of caliber player, maybe even a little better. And that's that's high praise right there, Dwight Freeney, future Hall of Famer. And Well, I coached Dwight Freeney. Well, I didn't really coach him, but I was there when uh, he was with the Cardinals. And Dwight really showed me a lot about just the pass rush. I mean, just – and he was really simple about it. You know, he just rushed off the edge and he'd give you that pass spin, but you never knew when it was coming. And he always described it like this. I'm throwing fastball, 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 and then I'm going to throw you a curve. And <laughs> that's how he rushed the passer. His whole thing – I know guys like to do the hands and all that. His whole thing was just getting off the rock, just getting off the ball. And his get-off was, were almost perfect. And I, I see that in Xavier where his get-off is not a step back. It's not a wasted step at all. And that's one of the hardest things to teach a guy is not to waste those steps. He doesn't waste those steps. He's a strong guy. He knows how to turn that corner. And it makes him so special on that edge. So I'm thrilled that he's going to be coming back. And I'm excited what he could possibly do. Man, me too, buddy. I'm thrilled too. Hey, I was thrilled doing this podcast with you, man. We're going to get up on out of here. Um, appreciate you. Appreciate all the listeners out there. Uh, guys, if you would, just uh, keep downloading us, leaving reviews and all that stuff. We appreciate you. Uh, me and LeVon will be back here next week uh, talking football. It's uh, Inside Clemson Football with LeVon Kirkland. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.